You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. Adrian, let me ask you something. Yeah. Say you're me. Okay. Say you have a new friend. I okay. think I may have a crush on this person, but like, I can't tell if it's like, you know, like just mutual respect. Do you want to make out with them, this person? I want to make out with pretty much everybody, so yeah, but... Okay, that, that makes it harder. The kids can't narrow things down. <laughs> You're listening to Fisher Family Ghosts. A six feet under companion podcast. I'm Sam Dingman. I'm Adrian Bain. Folks, that voice you heard is the voice of our very first ever in-studio, mm-hmm. studio in quotation marks, guest who will be joining us later in the show. He was very insightful and thoughtful about matters of the heart as well as the narrative. Mm-hmm. We're very excited that he joined us on the show, and you can look forward to lots more guests in the coming weeks on the program. And if you want to be a guest and chit-chat with us when we are done watching one of the episodes, you can email us at ffg at w-a-l-t dot f-m as some of your brethren have been doing. Is brethren naturally male? I thought that as I said it. I, I thought, am I Because using... most of our emails are ladies. Yes. I, I, if not I, that women can't be masculine. If brethren was gendered in a way that I did not intend, I apologize. I did not... I did... Your fellow... Help. What do I want to say? <laughs> what is the politically correct thing for me to I, say? I didn't mean to be toxic and gross. No, you were not toxic and gross at okay. all, honey. Okay. <laughs> okay. We have big email news coming across the transomes, mm-hmm. Adrian. Tell First, me. Leslie, who we have communicated Ugh. with in the past and who is wonderful, mm-hmm. Says, I can't remember if I mentioned this before, but I'm pretty sure the flower shop where Ruth works is just down the street from her old apartment building. <gasps> she says, I may be able to swing by sometime next week and check it out and get a pick. Literally do that. Leslie, please. Do that. Please do that. Get like a bunch of um, peace lilies or fragrant white lilies. Those are very traditional flowers found at a funeral. And you could do a reenactment of the wilting flowers from the opening credit sequence. You may not remember those, Adrian, because <laughs> you always make us skip the credits. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think it's a good, it's not a good credit. That's actually not true. It's not always. It's, we have an agreement that we watch the credits every other episode because I, I just, love the credits and Adrian, not a fan. I just feel like if it's the same thing over and over again, like, that's a minute of my life. We have discussed this on the show. Oh, we have. Okay. Oh, my God. Leslie, take take photos of your flowers and send them to us. Yes, please. Please do. Now, uh, this email comes to us from a listener identifying themselves as Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> Subject line, fourth fan here. Yes. Hi, guys. Just wanted to reach out and assure you that you indeed have a fourth fan of the podcast. Welcome aboard the good ship FFG Schrodinger. Six Feet Under is my favorite show by leaps and bounds, so it has been enjoyable listening to some intelligent discussion of the show. Mm. 
Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> Since this is Adrian's first viewing, I really hope she continues to enjoy the show and come to love it as much as Sam and I do. Mm. I've watched it through four times. I'm just about to wrap up the fourth viewing, in oh fact, God. which is why I'm on the lookout for Six Feet Under podcasts. And the program, Six Feet Under itself, is extremely meaningful to me. I did want to make one possibly pedantic correction to a comment made during the Season 2, Episode 2 podcast. I think it was Sam that mentioned when Brenda is having her conversation with Trevor's wife in the kitchen, she claims to have pretended to have bipolar disorder after having researched it in the library as a child during her participation in the research that eventually led to Charlotte Light and Dark. What Brenda and Trevor's wife were actually discussing was borderline personality disorder. Mm. Trevor's wife makes an offhand comment about she had a professor in grad school claim Charlotte was a textbook example of a classic borderline personality disorder case. Trevor's wife also bemoans the fact that the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder is assigned to women much more than men, which is absolutely true, due to our established patriarchal society. Yes. I speak from experience, as I was once in an eventful relationship, eventful is in quotes, with a woman who was, a f who was definitively diagnosed with the disorder. Borderline personality disorder, BPD in the psychiatric world, is a much different disorder than bipolar disorder, although the two are sometimes very difficult for professionals to diagnose, as there are some similarities. However, true borderlines are considered much more difficult to treat than manic depressives. Additionally, BPD is considered so difficult to treat that therapists sometimes claim to personally experience certain levels of emotional distress during the therapeutic process. Wait, the therapist does? Yes. Woof! Rather than get into all the details of BPD here, maybe peruse the disorder on the internet if it interests you. Given some of Brenda's, quote, issues, it is not entirely dismissible that she does actually suffer from it. Though I'd say if this is the intention of the show's writers, she is not presented as an absolute hopeless case, i.e. if we're looking at it on a spectrum, she probably would be towards wouldn't be towards the higher end of said spectrum. There are also some pretty good arguments that she isn't a sufferer of BPD as well. Anyway, interesting discussion, and I'm looking forward to future broadcasts. Cheers, Schrodinger's cat. Oh my god, Schrodinger's cat. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. You have foreshadowed a conversation that we have with Ramoy Indeed. about the way that women are portrayed on this show in a way that I did not think about before. Thank you for writing Schrodinger's Cat. Thank and you. my apologies for misstating that disorder in our discussion of it last week. I think you will be, along with everybody else listening right now, very interested in that conversation Adrian just alluded to that we have with Ramoy. So without further ado, let us get to it. But first, a viewing. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello! I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Hi there. Hi. Third day. How can you tell? <sighs> I'm good at people. Are you? Gotta be. 
tax law. Oh. I'm Scott. Scott Axelrod. Candace Bouvard. Nice to meet you, Candace. Are you an actress? <laughs> so listen, I'm not just saying this. I actually think what we're talking about it is an incredible segue <laughs> into talking about this this episode of Six Feet Under. But um, before we get there, can we have you just like introduce yourself, say who you are, and and how how Six Feet Under came into your life? My name is Ramoy George Philip the First, or uh, just Ramoy from most. Uh, I live in New York. I'm from Texas originally. Moved to New York a long, 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 long time ago. I just like to make dope shit. I'm just really into the life of making dope shit. Mm -hmm. I've been broke a majority of my adult life, so I'm kind of accustomed to being broke, but then still making dope shit. So I'm just kind of in that zone right now until somebody tells me to stop. And Six Feet Under, look, I'm a big TV head. I grew up into the 2000s watching a lot of TV. I had heard of Six Feet Under, but I never watched it. And then only recently, uh, my previous partner was a big fan, and we were perusing through the HBO we started watching it. I'm not going to like kind of hated it. And most of the first <laughs> season I kind of didn't like. But as I've graduated into season two, I, I don't think I'm lying to myself, but I feel it's really <laughs> hitting its stride. So here's my thing. This is why I want to say oh. I think that this the conversation that we were having at the start of this call and this episode are actually and actually the way that you both Adrian and Ramoy were introduced to Six Feet Under, there is actually a pretty meaningful connection here because in my opinion, um, this episode was very much about private lives mm -hmm. and how much of each other's private lives we are entitled to know about. And it's happening all through the episode. Obviously, I think that the biggest example is Ruth going to this meeting of the plan and people read her or at least Robbie has read her supposedly private letter and she ends up having to yell and scream about how she really feels, which she, she wants a Snickers. She just wanted a Snickers. She was just hangry. We also have Nate awkwardly asking about the sex lives of David and Rico at the beginning of the episode. Uh, he asks David about his beliefs about the afterlife and the whole thing is framed by, and, and of course then there's, there's Claire not knowing what Gabe is doing in his private life Gabe not wanting to talk about it. Uh, and the whole thing is framed by this psychic who can notionally see the things that we want to hide, regardless of whether mm -hmm. or not uh, we reveal them. So actually, the fact that we have known each other for a total of 11 minutes and we're already deeply acquainted with your personal <laughs> life <laughs> is very fitting. My ethos for like the last 10 years has been like, Oh, let's just all be fucking honest, right? And like, so when you when you hint at what you hinted to as like, yeah, like the thesis of this particular episode, it's like a bunch of people who, whether they are intentional or unintentionally, they're they're they have their private lives, and some of that private life may be a secret and secret to them because it makes them feel safe and secure, or at least, at least allows them the security of not having to be exposed to others. I'd like to think I believe, live my life in a way, or try, not even I do successfully, but I aspire to, I try to, I strive for. Trying to be a little bit more honest than uh, the average dishonest person <laughs> will allow themselves to. So I guess, yeah, that does strike a chord. I honestly didn't. I'd like to think I'm a smart dude. I like to see meta text or subtext in everything story. I didn't see that. That's a good read, my guy. That's a good read on this episode. <laughs> well, well, thank you. But I'm curious to know, I mean, like, one of the things we always talk about at the beginning of the episode is 
what do we think the show is trying to say to us by framing it with with the death that they choose? So, sure. right. I I think honesty was also a really big part of this because if we just focus on the beginning, people are really honest with each other while this guy is on his deathbed. And he's really honest because his wife is leaning into him and she's kind of like speaking whatever her psychic truth is. And she's like, it's just your body. And he goes, that's bullshit. You know, and like that kind of sets the tone for everyone is saying exactly what they are feeling. Like Brenda gets reprimanded in in the classroom, like the teacher is like super blunt with her and she's like, well, fuck you. And like leaves Claire finally stands up for herself and says like, get out, like just leave, go away. And then she comes clean. No, I think that's, it's very, it's very insightful in the sense, like I forgot the wife's name, but miss Claire or Mrs. Clairvoyant there, whether she truly sees or interacts with her husband or whether it's like some, you know, pathology or something she's doing to herself to make herself feel secure mm-hmm. in whatever just trying to sell upsell her surfaces um <laughs> uh she doesn't give a fuck like she's actually speaking and talking to said dead partner husband as if he's there she's performing or presenting to anybody around that he's there she don't give no fucks about judgment or worry or criticism frank like nothing like it doesn't <laughs> bother her in the slightest and so she didn't ever sell sets the table for us said honesty and, mm. and yeah you kind of see throughout the episode like the drips and drabs or the osmosis of that honesty as it filters through the other characters and the other characters' lives and subplots and so on and so forth. Totally. No, that's such a good point. Yeah, her total confidence in this reality that she believes she inhabits, or as you say, maybe markets herself as believing that she inhabits, is so jarring to everybody that from the Fisher family that interacts with her because... This whole show, I think, in many ways is about them learning to figure out how much of their inner lives to share with the people they're supposedly Mm. intimate with. And you get the sense for the wife that she erased that barrier a long, long time ago and and just decided it, it didn't need to exist. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to come back to like the very beginning as Adrian was kind of pointing to like, what was the very beginning about then? Like where the husband is kind of calling her out. Like I, that's the part I don't get. Like the husband is like, you're, I don't even know what he said, but you're full of shit or bullshit or he calls us and calls her on her bullshit in some degree. And he's, but I guess he's just coming to terms in a way in his own, like the honesty that he's terrified of death. Like Mm -hmm. maybe in and of a sense, whether that's the intention of the writing or the, the show or the story, like in a sense, like he opens up and just says how effing terrified he is of death. I think all of us, to a certain degree, I'll say it all the time. It's like, ah, I'm not scared of death, right? Like, <laughs> like, uh, but in reality, if like we was confronted on death's doorstep, be like, yo, in a second, it's over, bruh. Get ready. I'd be like, ah, oh, shit. I don't want, <laughs> I'm not ready for that, you know? So maybe, maybe it has the same effect on her husband. That's kind of what we're getting preface at the very, very, very. No, very. that's so astute. He in himself is like coming to that like reality check and being honest with himself. And then that, this whole issue, becomes a thread of conversation throughout the episode. People are having conversations about what happens after we die. What do you think yeah. it is? Do you think there are consequences for the way that we behave? Um, is it sad to think that there's nothing? Do you need something? Or is there transcendence in believing that we get second chances? Um, so, I, I mean, I think 
what it's really pointing to is the fact that we all at some point maybe just make a decision about what that is. And then that is either compatible or not compatible with the other people around us. I think in this episode, we really find out something new about Brenda in the sense that she lives her life believing that there will not be a tomorrow. We've known to some extent in the past that she has a nihilistic streak and that she feels like she has a clarity on things that allows her to read people really well. But this is the first time we've, we've really heard her articulate the idea that she's surprised to wake up every day and find out the world is still here, she says. I wonder, Adrian, how you feel like uh, season two, Brenda, how Brenda's character turn has turned and how you've been affected by that. And do you buy it or not? And like, not in the sense buy it for the character, the character themselves in the role, but more so that maybe hot take here, but, you know, to add some extra drama, they needed, you know, we need a serious character turn to then, whether it's for the romantic side with Nate or whether it's for just to add other uh, potential for multiplicity of subplots. Like, I just, I must, I just don't believe the character turn, at least it being feeling so sudden. You know what I mean? She goes from like being so loving and so affectionate and so caring throughout all of season one, especially in that finale. And then episode one of season two, it's just like, man, I'm kind of dead inside and I'm not attracted to you anymore. She explicitly (laughs) says it in this episode and it's like, whoa. Uh, I don't know. I just, it, it feels a little forced. And I understand we'll get a reveal and we'll get more. And like, she does have this, she's having, not having she may be confronting her own existential crisis and maybe that comes in waves and like this is a wave of it that we haven't experienced before i get that but i kind of just see too much of the seams if you know what i mean like it feels mm. more just like not the greatest writing or it's a little too quick to the trigger to pull this uh not plot twist but plot turn or subplot turn to then buy us more uh dramatic appeal in the future I feel like Brenda is the one character that I have the most like complex relationship with because Tell me more. as a woman, I think she's kind of portrayed on the borderline of like, oh, she's just kind of crazy, you know, and like that's not that's not great writing. And especially because like that's extremely simplistic, but that she has this like capriciousness like. In this episode, she didn't have to leave the classroom because the teacher asked her to read the book that was probably assigned. Like, that's a reasonable thing to do. And she was just like, and I was like, that's just kind of unnecessary drama. And you're kind of like pulling it on yourself. So I think another like sub theme for this one, for this episode is like playing the victim. Like we talked to the woman who gets her hair burned who gets her like head burned off and someone literally shouts like stop blaming the victim but then sometimes and we understand that like Brenda definitely has had like a messed up childhood and like her brother has really messed with her but then in this instance I'm like you're not the victim you know like you are willingly choosing to not deal with conflict and just like your pride is letting you think that like you're the smartest one in the room So I do think that her character is almost naturally there to just add extra tension and everybody else that's like ancillary to her. You know, her whole family is just like so much that you can just like plop any of one, any of them into an episode. And it just like it definitely does dial up the drama. 
I have that's to. That's really interesting. I might be reaching here, but I think it's so interesting that we're having this conversation about calling the show out for kind of making its mechanics, laying bare its mechanics in in terms of what they're doing with Brenda because they they needed to possibly infuse some drama, but. Hmm. And and something that we are accustomed to Brenda doing is laying bare the mechanics of other people. But another thing that's happening in this very episode is people are telling one another that they're very good at reading them and that they see through them only to be played by the person oh, they say that to. So like, like Bobo. Like Bobo. Brenda sits down with that guy at the bar. And he says, oh, I'm really good at reading people. And she goes on to say, oh, my name is Candice LaRue, and I work with the That's people who can't see or, or can't hear or whatever. <laughs> when men yeah. pick me up in the post-quarantine, that's the name I'm going to give them. And he totally falls for it. He completely falls for it. And then I mean, similarly... <laughs> right. Here's my card. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> on Zoom or whatever. Right. He may be in a place where he's not terribly concerned what her real name is. But um, then also Robbie says to Ruth, I read your letter. I know what you need to do right now. And Ruth's like, you're right, Robbie, I'm going to do it. And she picks up the phone and she has this whole exchange with Claire. And it turns out she was just listening to Mr. Movie Phone the whole time. So I think it's interesting that we're talking about Brenda laying bare the mechanics of the show um, when this episode was honestly about seeing the idea of whether or not we can see through intentions and presentation. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I appreciate uh, what you did there and I appreciate <laughs> the subtext on the subtext, but I would, I'm going to call intentional fallacy there and say, you know, <laughs> I don't believe it. I believe it's poor writing or, <laughs> uh, you know, somebody got that's an fair. early or got idea that a long-term renewal was in place and we got to stretch <laughs> you got stretch the drama out, and like oh, Brenda is fair. a volatile character, and yeah, yeah. Again, Adrian, to what you said, and it's it's kind of what's rubbing me the wrong way in the show. I'm like, look, I'm not like trying to be like, yeah, we're more smart or cool here, or extra like woke, but like it seems like all the female characters are made to be so volatile that you can play, like you have the ability to leverage them in the way that like any point in turn into any drama you want. And it's just the female characters are written to be so like they're written, they're characters, they're written to be irrational and like yeah. so volatile. And it just, it just makes it so easy to spin and stir drama at the writer's whim or at the executive producer's whim or HBO's whim whenever they need more drama if and when. So oh, that's I appreciate I what you did. Together. And I appreciate you saying the, yeah. the, the subtext on the subtext. <laughs> I just call bullshit. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. Well, you have seen through me, Ramoy, in, in pointing out that I, I am sort of like relentlessly yeah. on this show looking for ways of saying, but oh, Adrian, that, <laughs> that thing you noticed, what if it was all part of their beautiful plan because they're such marvelous artists? And Adrian has become very good at saying exactly what you just said, which is like, it's a cute <laughs> idea, Sam. But also, sometimes people are bad writers on deadline. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I didn't, I really want to meditate on what you just said about are all of the female characters a little volcanic? Like, why can't Claire just have, like, a good story? But, because Claire's also a teenager, you know? And I would also say that 
Gabe is by far the most volcanic out of everybody, but he is ancillary to Claire and adds a whole bunch of drama to her. True. But what Ramoy is saying is also making me think about how often the lines that are written for Ruth are come into this otherwise completely reasonable conversation that people are having and say a bunch of extremely bananas bananas stuff in a kind of a shrill voice that plays into a stereotype of goofy old mom um and i i hadn't really maybe seen that for what it was until you you raised this point (laughs) ramoy No, uh, sorry, no, I think guy. that's good to know. <laughs> no, no, it's good for me. It, it's good for me. <laughs> and even Claire's closest girlfriend, which we know is not like super close, is also such a total trope because she's just made up to be this like, oh, I'm easy and I sleep with everybody. You know, and, like that's just another drama play. And it's just like, that's an easy character. Huh. And there's really not that many other women on the show. And Keith's sister is causing drama because yep. it's like, we don't know where she is. Is she using She's a bad mother? She has a daughter. Yeah. This is true. Mm. Oh, this is no. True. I'm sorry to be that. I'm sorry to be that. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, this, no, this actually needed to be said. This dovetails with another point I wanted to bring up, which is in the scene where Claire is sitting up late and Ruth comes home from being at the plan meeting. Right, right. We see Claire watching Badlands, which is... Okay, I was going to ask, what is that? Like a smart TV or movie head probably knows. So Sam, you're the smart TV movie head. You know, tell me more. (laughs) Well, I'm going to reach for something, my catchphrase on this episode. But I think (laughs) what's going on is that is a film about a very... About a young girl who is bewitched by this kind of mysterious drifter who is very handsome and wants to treat her like a queen. You know, in the movie, I think she's 15 also, and he's like 21, which is gross. But obviously that's not going on between Claire and Gabe. They're the same age. But character-wise, I thought that moment was about... And so he, in the movie, turns out to be a serial killer who is on this murder spree across the Midwest and she suddenly finds herself wrapped up in this plot that she unwittingly starts to help him with because she kind of gets caught up in the excitement of it before she realizes Mm. too late Mm -hmm. what she's actually Mm. become a part of. And so I thought what they were going for in that scene is, is Claire having a moment of self realization. I don't want to become Sissy Spacek in this relationship with Gabe. So it is an extreme like illusion, and they're le- leaning hard into that. Interesting. They lean hard. Uh, can I say something based on that? And our boy Gabe, um, mm-hmm. I don't know why I have this opinion, but I love. I think it's Eric Balfour, like that actor. I've always loved him. His fucking weird ass, like triangle, pointy jawline head, <laughs> so fucking weird and handsome. Yes. And but not and ugly. And I don't know if you guys, speaking of TV. Uh, ever watched this one season show? It was, a Dick, it was in the Dick Wolf universe called Conviction, but he was one of the leads in that. I mean, I've just loved this man for a long time, and it was so uh, joyful to see him in the show because I had no idea he was in the show. Uh-huh. Uh, his character's all over the place, and I don't know if I love him anymore is all I want to say. I, <laughs> I want to root for him, but after the foot thing and then the other foot thing, and then he's just like some druggy 
murderer on the deep end living in a beach bullpen lifeguard yeah. thing. I don't know what to do with this kid. <laughs> is he done? I guess my question is, is he done? Or like maybe he comes back in a cameo here and there, but is he like he's officially been written out of the series, I presume? I I won't confirm or deny. Um, Damn. I do I do remember what the Gabe end game is, but I, I won't say anything. Uh, I don't think he's going to be written out. I do think that he does add this interesting level of tension and drama that we don't get in like the rest of the show. So I don't think that they're going to let up on him too quickly. And especially now that like Claire has literally turned him in. Right. And he's going to be found some, I would think that he's going to be found some point and Either we see his own funeral, which is not great. Oh, or, I don't know why I didn't think about that. But that's that's interesting. Or I maybe like that. he like cleans himself up and we like have this like redemption moment with him. You know, like maybe he does a fall like dip down and then like a fall Cinderella story. You know, I don't know. Uh, do you forecast? Okay, so say it does become like a redemption story and like he comes uh-huh. out on the other side super clean and super straight and a young professional just. <laughs> working 40 hour weeks and yeah. nine to six or whatever gets a job do at Goldman see, Sachs. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> do you see like them like resurfacing the love story with Claire and him, but she, it just doesn't work because all she needs, she needs crazy. She needs wild. She needs um, unreliable. You think mm. it would work out in that scenario? I've been thinking about this cause I'm like nervous that Claire I think that our first relationships do sometimes set the groundwork for what we later become like attracted to or into. Yeah. And this whole time, I'm really nervous that Claire is going to be like, oh, I'm only into bad boys. I'm only into guys that treat me poorly. Ugh. But I, I'm really hoping that like with her sticking up for herself and like, she was like, no, we need to go back. We need to see that guy get out of my car. She takes the gun. I think that's a moment of her being like, I'm going to be in control and I know my worth and I know that like, I don't deserve to be wrapped up in this right now or ever. Um, I think that's all. I just worry about Claire's like actual development and I think she's going to need some time to like really heal and get over this and realize that like, this is not a normal relationship. At least we've never done that. Well, then (laughs) there's still time. There's still time. We gotta spice it up somehow. It's been like a year. There. Well, and that that of sure, course, yeah. That also gets into the the part of the episode, the like runner in the episode of Nate kind of low key asking people how often they have sex. Yeah. And it made me wonder when this originally aired, how many couples like when the episode ended looked at each other and were like either high-fived or we're like, uh, should we talk? Like, yeah. <laughs> are we, are we using uh, the intimacy of six feet under as a replacement for our own? Like what's happening? I think, out of, I think out of all the story elements of this episode that like would make, uh, that would kind of like act as like do sex mocking out to like, uh, <laughs> break the fourth wall and like have anybody reflect on their level of honesty. It would be that conversation right there, especially if it's a young couple, like, all of us or whatever, like watching this. And then that one storyline comes up and you can't avoid it and you can't run away from it and you can't hide from it. Uh, yeah. That would force anybody to be awkwardly honest. Oh yeah. Very tough. Absolutely. Well, so Ramoy, I know you've only got six minutes left and this, this is actually a good segue into, um, kind of the, the 
one of the last things I wanted to talk about, which is um, I loved the part at the end where Claire says, Claire has revealed what Gabe has done. She's talking to David and Nate and Keith. And I can't remember who it is. It's either David or Nate. I think it's Nate says, why do you put up with him or why are you, why do you why protect him? Yeah, yeah, why do you protect him? He's such a loser. He's such a loser. And Keith snaps right away because she loves him. Yeah. Oh, I love Keith. Keith is a G, yo. Keith is the best, but also in that moment, Keith is talking about David, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I just thought that was, I my heart like skipped in that moment because that is e- even more than the moment where he says to David in the police station in Las Vegas, I did this because I love you. This to me is him saying that he loves David to a room full of people in yeah. a way, whether or not they realize it. It's just such a profound statement of how much he cares for David. I can't tell if you're giving us a tell because you've seen the show before and like this this storyline of their relationship isn't going away anytime soon. Because the way that I've been reading it, and not reading it, but the way that's been told to me, it's like I'm almost to the point within their storyline where it's like, I guess Keith has fully moved on and they're just going to be like platonic friends and support one another. Right. But any sort of like romantic love and that kind of potential drama has actually completely subsided. And maybe even of itself like, Keith's character is actually soon to be written out. I think in like episode one of season two, when he has a boyfriend, is it episode one or maybe it's the season finale of the first season, whatever. When you meet uh, or you see Keith with his boyfriend and they're hanging out, like whatever, I'm just like, oh, like he's going to fade away. They're going to write out the black guy. Great. That's what I was expecting, yeah. you know? Um, but from what you're hinting at, maybe, maybe that's not even close. Well, why do you think that we are holding on to David and Keith? Like, what do you think that, what do you think Keith? provides david and why does why does david still kind of like need him there or why does keith need david i'm curious why like if you have any predictions about like their dynamic I think it's just like a it's a it's like a and this is going to sound super corny and about but it, it seems more than anything like a true supportive love than anything that any of the other a supportive love and a reliable love and keith is so reliable and, and stalwart uh, both emotionally both understandingly, both vocally, not both, but all all of the above, right? And so he's just such a reliable character that whether it's it's for David or whomever, like just for the show in and of itself, like he seems to have the most stability of us all, of it of them all. And for me, just as the casual watcher, it's just he and his actions are so refreshing that you kind of you would never want to lose that in a show that uh, all the characters. I mean, there is just so much drama and there is so much volatility from children blowing their heads off to severed feet being thrown in people's um, lockers. Yeah. Uh, for better or worse, it's there is a lot of drama, but Keith provides kind of like the stability and the totally. anchor to like sanity that we all need. That is such a good adjective to describe Keith's role in the show. Refreshing. Every time he shows up, you can feel your, your pulse like even out. You're like, somebody here totally. is going to behave like a well-adjusted human. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I don't know if there were any of those people in LA, but I hope there's many keys out there. Really <laughs> yeah, full of those same. fucking weirdos. But anyways, I kind of want to see if this works as like when we have guests on. This is a bit of an experiment, so you don't have to answer if you don't want to. It. Let's do it. I'm Let's curious go. if maybe the last question we ask them is, Ramoy, what are your thoughts 
on the afterlife? Uh, Softball question. <laughs> no, no. I mean, if you had asked me, like, uh, as a good Christian boy growing up in Texas Panhandle, I would guarantee there was a heaven and a hell, and uh, that you know the only way through there was Jesus Christ, this uh, invisible friend who could live into your heart and talk to you in your brain. Uh, and no offense to anybody who believes that or believes anything similar or very dissimilar, but I'm kind of at the point where like I don't really think in anything, uh, and I don't necessarily believe in anything or if i were to believe in something that life is just a bunch of paradoxes and uh that's cool i don't know <laughs> anything and uh, everything i think is true is probably going to be proven untrue in the same way and it's fucking uncomfortable as shit but i just gotta get comfortable with that discomfort and that in and of itself is its own paradox so i prove my point Go suck. I love the paradox can i share a quote that i read this week that your answer makes me think about hit me my guy it's from the book Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, and the narrator of that book is a preacher, and he talks about how people are always coming to him and saying, what happens when we die? And he says, we can't know, but it is a going home, because we have no home in this world. I like it. In and of it, it makes complete sense, he is, yeah. in as much as I can't grasp or comprehend that, right? Yeah, right. I feel like it acknowledges the paradox, but it's also somewhat profoundly comforting. I don't know, at least to me. Oh my God, we are born into a paradox. I Indeed. love that. Indeed. Well, Ramoy, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Let's do it again. Can you please <laughs> let us know what happens with this? Yeah, I mean, you're going to be the first person I email post Zoom call on Friday or whenever it happens. Like, yeah, this is what happened. You're going to know. Thank you for listening to Fisher Family Ghosts, everybody. And thank you to Ramoy for joining us. So good. Thank you also to Leslie and Schrodinger's mm -hmm. cat for writing in. If you would like to contact us with thoughts, corrections, be a guest. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you too are experiencing relationship quandaries that you would like yeah. our take on, which is hilarious and self-aggrandizing but sure let's put it out there email us ffg at walt.fm now before we go adrian i think there may be one other subject that you would like to address mm -hmm. with the listeners if i'm not mistaken is it like the other podcast that i do i was thinking that might be perhaps something you would like to yeah bring up so I have a travel podcast. It is called Strangers Abroad. And Mr. Dingman, yes. who's sitting across from me, oh. shall be on it because oh boy. I will be doing a few episodes about our gallivant across America and the great American road trip and what it's been like to travel during COVID. So check it out. I'm going to be having some new episodes come out pretty soon. And it will hopefully get you guys inspired to go out and travel once you get your vaccinations. We are coming to you as recently first dosed Pfizerinos. Half vax? Half vax. Together, we are full vax. That's not how it works. <laughs> I too have a podcast. It's called Family Ghosts. We recently featured a very beautiful short story by the author Mary Terrier called Guests that I was very honored to present. 
and we are deep into our fourth season. We have had a murder mystery. We have had a ghost story. And we've had one story about an absent father and another story about an absent mother. So we're really jumping around all over the board on Family Ghosts this season. All over the family tree. Thank you. That's way better. Please write all my scripts for me. (laughs) Ghost write them. (laughs) We thank you so much for listening and look forward to joining you next week on Fisher Family Ghosts.